Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a Q&A conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on a sermon series from the book of James. In a sermon titled, A Working Faith, Pastor Stephen looks at the relationship between faith and works. We'll talk about how we're saved and how we're to live as followers of Jesus. We'll also unpack the idea of easy beliefism. All that and more is on the table today as we dive into James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So, Stephen, did Martin Luther think that Paul's understanding of the gospel was better than James? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, historical question. You know, what we see Luther write about in particular is that there's somewhat of an assumption on Luther's part that James has a very uh, basic Jewish understanding of the gospel. Um, Mm -hmm. He comes from a Jewish background, obviously being Jesus's brother. He is writing to a Jewish audience, and so Uh, A lot of what James is talking about, in Luther's opinion, is how Jesus has changed uh, Judaism uh, to reflect his teaching, whereas Luther would see Paul's gospel as being perfectly in line with what Jesus said, and a a completely different religion altogether. Hmm. Uh, And and that's somewhat understandable, right? When we read uh, the Greek of James, particularly James's comment in 2.24, where he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. That's almost the exact opposite phrase in Greek of Paul's words in Romans mm. three twenty-eight. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but we have to remember that Luther is working in a particular historical context as well, and he's in a place where the original languages, the Greek and the Hebrew, hadn't been engaged with uh, for many, many, many years. And so here he is uh, looking at the original Greek and seeing these phrases that seem to be opposites, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's going to be hard to uh, reconcile, right? That Scripture has two opposite phrases uh, in Greek. That's going to be challenging. Add to that the fact that Luther is coming out of a Catholic background, right? He is, uh, his efforts are working against the the theology uh, of the Roman Catholic papal structure, which taught that you could buy your way into heaven, right? Mm, like he right. had a problem with the fact that the, the Roman Catholic Church was selling indulgences and saying, if you pay X amount of money, you don't have to be in purgatory as long. And when he reads Romans, he goes, this is correct. This is the gospel that Christ died for us, that we have salvation through faith. And so that freedom that he has received through Paul's writings in particular, all of a sudden comes up again in contrast with James's writings, and it's it creates somewhat of a perfect storm for Luther to say, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with James, but it doesn't seem to be on the same page as Paul. Now, give give Luther credit. He didn't he didn't remove the letter of James from his mm-hmm. Bible, right? We have people throughout history who have said this is too much, right? James is too far off from the rest of the New Testament, so we got to get rid of it. Luther didn't do that. He knew 
the church fathers uh, had accepted James, right? The earlier, the earliest manuscripts kept James in. There's authenticity of scripture here. And so Luther kept it in, but he still said there's something off. So hmm. it, it, in some ways, it's easy to understand uh, if, if you're not looking at the context uh, and the audience and, and the original historical setting for the writing, you can easily think that these are different, different views. Mm-hmm. So then uh, what saves us, faith or works? Yeah, so uh, I think you're trying to trap me, and you want me to say both. <laughs> um, but I'm actually going to say that faith saves us. There you and go. the right. reason that I'm going to say that uh, is because when we say save, when we talk about salvation, m- almost all of us have had our understanding of salvation shaped by Paul and by Paul's writings. Mm-hmm. And so uh, over the, the course of church history, we've been taught about salvation in the way that uh, Paul talks about it. Uh, how do we receive eternal life? How is mm-hmm. it that we move from death to life? What is it that causes God to look at us and say, no longer a sinner, now a saint. We naturally think about salvation this way almost exclusively in terms of justification, right? Which justification being the act wherein God declares us to be righteous, taking mm-hmm. away um, the the penalty due to us because of our sin and applying the righteousness that Jesus has earned to us. That's just the natural way that we think about salvation because of how the church has taught about salvation throughout the years. That's what Paul is talking about, forensic righteousness, declared Mm -hmm. to be righteous. And because we think that way, naturally, when you ask what saves us, the answer is faith, right? As Paul says everywhere in his writings, Mm -hmm. it is by grace you have been saved through faith, right? We know that no one is saved by works of the law. They're saved by faith alone. So it is faith that saves us. So then what does James mean when he says that faith without works is dead? Right, and this is this is where we have to really take a look at, at what James is saying and to whom he's saying it, right? Like the audience matters. The the intent of scripture is what the original author meant for the original audience. And James is combating this idea that all you have to do is believe, and then you can just do whatever you want the rest of your life. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you treat poor people disrespectfully. It doesn't matter if you play favorites when it comes to those in the congregation. It doesn't matter if you uh, you know, go out and, and slander somebody on the street and curse somebody because of what they've done to you and harm other people. As long as you believe, that's, that's all that matters. What James is saying is, if you really believe, if you really have faith, it is going to change the way you interact with the poor. It is going to change the way that you speak to others. It's going to change the way that you approach people in your local church environment. James is, James is saying true salvation uh, is justification, believing, having faith that Jesus died for you, and sanctification— the, the the work in which God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, unites us to Jesus and makes us uh, more and more able to die into sin and to live unto Christ. So I, I, 
Scripture uses many great analogies to talk about sanctification. We, we see words like pruning or refining, right? Burning away the bad stuff. I, th- I think a great example of this is actually like a rock tumbler. I think we've talked mm. about this before. Yeah. I feel like this is the third or fourth time I've brought up rock tumblers. I like the, the rock tumbler analogy. Yeah, it's a good one. You know, like yeah. God puts us in a church and he mixes us up so that our rough edges are shaved off and, and, and smoothed out. And that's that's what James is talking about. If your rough edges are not being smoothed off, you need to question whether or not you actually believe. If yeah. your actions are not being pruned so that the dead, uh, selfish, um, you know, worldly-focused actions are cut away to some regard, and your love, your joy, your peace, patience, all the fruit of the Spirit are starting to show forth, you need to be concerned, and you need mm-hmm. to consider, do I actually belief. So what, what James is saying here, um, I, one way I, I talked about it and I think is helpful to think about is that Paul and James have two different viewpoints in mind when they talk about righteousness. Paul is looking at when you believe. So mm-hmm. when you profess faith in Jesus, when you say, this is true of me, um, I, I know that I have no hope except Jesus' death and resurrection, God gives you forensic righteousness at that moment. James has in view the end of time, when Jesus mm. returns and we all stand in judgment. And we have lived 5, 10, 25, 70 years as children of God. Will our lives have been changed by our faith? And, and his comment is, if the answer is no, if we reach the end of our lives and we have not had faithful works become evident— then we will not have had original faith, right? Like that, that, mm. that's his comment. His, it's a timeline view, and James is looking at a different time uh, than Paul is. So when I was a, um, a young Christian in high school, we used to ask this question to each other. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is that what James is getting at here? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I think that that's a, a rough uh, analogy, <laughs> a, a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that James would exactly use this that language, particularly because they, the Christians in the Middle East at this time are only <laughs> a couple years removed from being persecuted for being right, Christians. Right, right. So yeah, he probably, probably wouldn't use that. Probably <laughs> yeah. uh, You know, we don't want to open that wound. Sure. Um, but I do, uh, I do think that that's getting at something in the sense of uh, what, what do you see? Um, that's not a fair way to ask it. Um, what do your actions reveal about your heart? I guess is mm. a good way to say it. Like, mm, right. if somebody, yeah, if somebody were to look at you, would they know what you believe? And the answer might be no, and that's okay, right? Like, it's not. You have to go out and stand on a street corner and proselytize and tell everybody about Jesus. Um, but the question is, if somebody met you five years after you became a Christian, would they be able to tell a difference? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I, that's, I think, really helpful. You know, we uh, I was talking with one of the young younger kids in our congregation who wants to join and, and become a member, and I, I use this... I, idea of like life change in that you you experience people in these moments right and people experience you in these moments and then you may never interact with them again but 
God might change your life drastically over the course of the rest of your life. And so you're going to get to heaven, uh, new heavens and the new earth, and there are people that are going to be there, and you're going to say, wait, you made it in? Um, and there's going to be lots of people there that are going to see you and say, wait, you made it you in? You made it in? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and, and I think that's a really helpful way of, of understanding that, you know, if we boil it down to just today, that's not... That's not what James is talking about, right? James is not saying, hey, we need a running tally of what you've done to prove that you're faithful. What James is saying is, uh, in, the, in the scope of your life, um, your actions, your attitudes, your thoughts, um, if you believe in Jesus, will be changed uh, over time, right? The, it's a work mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit. It's not a, a one-time act of the Holy Spirit. Uh, should this passage make us less sure about our salvation? Ooh, um, <laughs> less hmm. sure. Absolutely not. No, Scripture should never make you less sure of your salvation. But here's the amazing thing about Scripture, right? The goal of the passage, as I said, is what the original author intended it to be for the original audience. If that message convicts you, makes you re-examine your motivations and your actions and your thoughts, it's because the Holy Spirit is working in you to open your eyes uh, to something that you hadn't seen before, right? And Mm. and in reality, I think uh, a majority of us have become, as I said in the sermon, expert compartmentalists, right? Mm. We can easily keep Jesus in his place on Sunday mornings. And we talk about him when we happen to bump into another Christian throughout the week sometime, or when we log on to a Zoom uh, community group or a prayer meeting or whatever, um, which means that passages like this do make us question, how have I been changed? Am I doing good works? Mm-hmm. And if if we're living a compartmentalized life, it's going to feel like this is a, a passage of condemnation. Um, and I would encourage you, if you're feeling that way, if this makes you less sure of your salvation, not to see it as condemnation, but actually conviction, right? Which means it should make you more sure of your salvation, hmm. but concerned about how Jesus is wanting you to change, right? Like, if you know the Holy Spirit's working in you, you're united to Jesus, and whoever has been given to Jesus, as he says in his high priestly prayer, Nothing can be taken, they cannot be taken out of my hand. So be confident that you belong to Jesus and be confident that he is doing something in your life, working out some of that sin, that selfishness, that, that worldliness. Uh, it's not comfortable, um, but maybe the reality is I've been become complacent with the beautiful gift that Jesus has given me. I've secluded him to his n- nice, neat little corner, uh, and what this passage is doing is helping me see he's breaking out of it. So, Stephen, we've established that becoming a Christian should change our lives, but is that change bigger for some people than others? And and how do we keep ourselves from comparing ourselves to others? Yeah, man, that's a good question. Uh, we would like it to be true, right? We would like for the change uh, to have to be bigger uh, for other people than us, right? We, we do enjoy <laughs> feeling like there's some pretty messed up people out there, and I'm just kind of in the middle, right? Like I'm not a saint. I haven't done any miracles, but I'm also not like a convicted murderer. So yeah, you know, right, right. Uh, we like feeling that way, um, but th- this is where 
this is the answer to both questions, right? How do we keep ourselves from comparing uh, ourselves and our our sin and our change to others? Um, the reality is what we see in Scripture is that everyone who has been called by God, who He has foreknew, whom He has brought to salvation, has a drastic life change in store for them, and that is from death to life. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a major, major life change. Um, and it's at a different pace. The Holy Spirit works differently in different people. And so the truth is, um, I have to go from death into life. You have to go from death unto life. And that transformation in you is no different than it is in me. It just takes a different path. And so reminding ourselves, dead people cannot bring themselves back to life. Dead people have to be brought back to life, and that is miraculous, and that is an upheaval, an overturn of creation. And so it's a major effort, but that effort does not come from us. It comes from God. Mm. I mean, how can I compare myself to anybody else? Right, but we we all have maybe have had friends who were living lives of total dissipation and, uh, you know, cheating on their taxes and all this stuff, and they come to Jesus and they clean up all those things. But but a lot of us, we're not, you know, we're not criminals before we became Christians. Sure, that's true. But I will direct your attention to the parable of the lost son who does all that stuff, you know, takes his dad's fortune and goes and wastes it and um, squanders it all on women and drink in a foreign country and... Um, then comes to his senses and decides he wants to come back home and work as a servant because the servants have better food than he does in the pig farm that he's living on. And when he gets home, the dad doesn't let that happen. He puts the royal robe on him and the ring and then throws a huge party. And uh, it's the you know, the older brother who never did anything wrong, who never took any of his money, who never disrespected his father, who doesn't get to go into the party. Right, like they're just because you've never done anything wrong doesn't mean you understand uh, the the new life that's been given to you. So, but in, in, and I know the salvation it will be given freely to to both sides. And just in terms of this passage of looking at our lives and saying, "Man, that person when they became a Christian, it was so evident that they did become a Christian because they had a long way to go." That that was my my point with that. I got gotcha, you. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Stephen, you mentioned in your sermon the term easy beliefism. Uh, what is that? Yeah, so uh, it's a good good thing to talk about. In the 1980s, um, this uh, guy at Dallas Seminary named Zane Hodges wrote a book, Absolutely Free, um, and he argued that you can accept Jesus as your Savior, be justified, but not accept him as your Lord, right? And the difference being Jesus as Savior rescues you from the um, the punishment that your sin deserves. He brings you from death into eternal life. Um, but Jesus as Lord has some things to say about how you live your life, right, as a Lord would mm-hmm. over his subjects. Um, and Zane Hodges' point was that you could actually... Um, submit to Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord, and be justified and still make it to heaven. Mm. Um, You could obviously then uh, submit your life to Jesus as Lord later on and become a disciple and have your life change and stuff, but you didn't necessarily have to. Um, Mm. And I think it's important for us to know that this uh, is a response sort of um, to the the altar call movement, right? The the upswell of... um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, these uh, movements, uh, preachers would go around and they would have um, big uh, revivals. Revivalism, yeah, that's revival, what I'm looking for. Right. Yeah, sure. Uh, and so Zane Hodge's point was like, you could actually go to a revival and recognize, oh no, I'm in trouble. I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. Submit your life to Jesus at the revival. The pastor would pack everything up, move on to the next town, and you just go back mm. to your daily life and nothing really changes in your life and you're still saved, right? Mm. And that... that that was a particular theological viewpoint that he had. And I think we just live this way anyway, right? Like we mm-hmm. just live like, Hey, you know what? It's probably good to have uh, Jesus in my life. It's probably good to say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I can't really do much for my eternal salvation. Uh, so this dude saying he's done something for my eternal salvation, I'll believe that. Hmm. Once we start talking about how it's going to change your life, that's where people start having a problem. So easy believism uh, was an actual theological viewpoint of Zane Hodges, but I think it's kind of a subconscious lifestyle that many, many Christians live today. Mm-hmm. So is James promoting lordship salvation here? Yeah, not not exactly, right? And so lordship salvation was the response to easy believism back in the 80s. Uh, John MacArthur wrote a book called The Gospel According to Jesus, um, What is Authentic Faith? And he refuted this idea of easy believism by saying that uh, you, when you confess Jesus as Savior, you are confessing Him also as Lord. You cannot separate the two. Hmm. Um, and that, on I, if you have read Scripture, that immediately sounds correct. The problem with lordship salvation is that it actually blurs the line between law and gospel, so that Mm. in many ways, the law swallows up the gospel, right? Now, it's important for us to define our terms so that we know what we're talking about here. Um, In in Lordship Salvation, your behavior matters so much that it tends to lose Jesus's obedience on your behalf, right? So the law says, do these things, obey these rules, and you live, disobey, Mm -hmm. and you die. But because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, we can never obey, we will always die, right? Mm-hmm. The gospel says, believe that Jesus obeyed the law perfectly, but instead of life, he received death, and he, God chose to take his death as the death you deserve for disobeying the law, right? So when we blur the lines between law and gospel, what happens is lordship salvation begins to say, you can believe that Jesus died for you, but you also must obey, and if there's no obedience in your life, then you don't believe, um, which mm. is is not, in particular, the Reformed view of what the gospel proclaims, right? It's missing out on Jesus's perfect obedience on our behalf, and that being credited to us, right? So God, in, in this idea of double imputation, which comes mm. at, to us uh, on the cross, God really gives our record of sin to Jesus so that his death covers it, and he really gives us Jesus's record of obedience and the righteousness that is given to us. So if we blur the two, if we say you must obey because you believe, and if you don't, then you don't really believe, we miss out on the reality of double imputation. Uh, okay, so uh, so let's say that that our our faith has changed our work, our play, our parenting, our media consumption. 
and we lead Bible studies and teach Sunday school, but we're not actively seeking and caring for the poor among us. Is our faith dead in James's eyes? Yeah, um, I would say no, uh, based on what we see in James's writing. Uh, we got to remember he's addressing specific concerns that were plaguing uh, the churches, the Christians in the region at the time. Um, and, and one of the concerns that that he was addressing for those particular Christians was the neglect of the poor, or, or maybe a, appropriately the fracturing of the church and favoritism of mm. wealthier Christians, right? So um, that's not to say those might not be issues in your life as well, um, but where Jesus needs to 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 bust in and break some things apart aren't necessarily the same issues that Christians uh, from Jewish backgrounds in the Middle East in like 40-ish AD Mm. were dealing with, right? Um, Does Jesus want you to actively seek out and care for the poor? Absolutely, 100%. But the fact that you're not doing that now uh, doesn't mean that your faith is dead, right? The fact that your work and your play, your parenting and all that is being guided and governed uh, and addressed shows that Jesus is at work in your life. Your faith is alive, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's where um, mm-hmm. Jesus is working right now. That, you know, like, yeah, you should. You should definitely go care for the poor, um, but also rejoice in what God has changed in your life already. So do do works and uh, do works correlate with spiritual giftings? Mm, yeah, uh, good question. Uh, there, are, there are many who would say that that's kind of what James is actually uh, speaking out against, that there was an understanding in the churches he's writing to um, that uh, works and faith were kind of gifts. And so you have uh, some people who are just going to believe through everything, no matter what, but then you have some people who are going to, they're going to go out and do do something about it, right? That This is focused on James's comment where he creates an Im- imaginary opponent who says, uh, well, you'll say, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Mm. Um, that uh, get Spiritual gifts and, and what James are talking about, faith and works, are very, very different, right? Faith and works are two sides of the coin of salvation for James, right? We have uh, belief and we have action, right? And so what James would say and what Paul would agree with, what Jesus says throughout his earthly ministry is that if you believe, your life will be changed. You will do good works as Jesus becomes more alive in you. It'll happen. Anybody who believes, it will happen, period. Spiritual gifts, on the other hand, are unique characteristics built into individuals within the body of believers that are given in order to bless the members of the body. So we look at things Mm. like teaching, we look at things like hospitality, like discernment, like giving, um, like service. These These are unique gifts that are connected to your character that the Spirit taps into and uses for the edification of the rest of the body. And so uh, they're very, very different things. Um, And there are some people who struggle for many, many years to find their spiritual gifts. Um, Many are not given opportunities to exercise their spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't mean that they're not called to, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul would say, or 
that they're not called to go and, and serve and love and, and engage in their life um, in a Christ-honoring, uh, uh, Lord-submitting way. Mm-hmm. Do we need to be counterculture to faithfully follow Jesus? And if so, what would that look like? Yeah, so I would say yes, we do need to be counterculture, but counterculture in the sense of not going with the flow of culture, um, not like rebelling against culture and speaking Mm -hmm. out against it and condemning it at every chance we get, right? Everything that the culture tells you uh, is about focusing on yourself primarily, Mm -hmm. right? Your work, your relationships, your health, your mental space, everything. You have to take care of you. If you don't, no one else is going to take care of you. You're on your own. You got to figure this out, which means if your work is suffocating you, find a new job. If your your relationship isn't giving you what you want, find a new relationship. Uh, if relationships in general aren't, you just you just love yourself for a while. That's okay, right? Like if you need a break, take a break. It's all on you. Um, now, that's not necessarily wrong, right? It's not that Jesus doesn't want you to care for yourself, hmm. but the message that you have to take care of yourself because no one else is going to take care of you is absolutely antithetical to the gospel, right? The Hmm. primary point of the gospel is Jesus has you. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. You don't have to focus on yourself as the culture tells you because he is so focused on you. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah, like we can swim up current of the culture because we know that we got a life jacket on. Hmm. Very good. I like that. Uh, okay, so let's put a fine point on this. You've, you've told a congregation of overachievers that just believing in Jesus is not enough. Rather, it's what they do with that belief that matters. What would be the, the right takeaway from this message, and what would be the wrong takeaway? Sure, yeah. So the wrong takeaway, uh, it's really easy to come to this because this is what, this is what I tried really hard to make sure I didn't say. Um, and I don't know that I did a great job of it, but um, the the wrong takeaway would be that Jesus is disappointed with you, mm-hmm. that God God looks at your life and all the stuff you've missed, the people you didn't care about, the person you didn't talk to, um, and he's he's you know he's not mad, he's mm-hmm. just disappointed. Um, that's not that's not the takeaway. And if you right. walked away from my sermon with that, please hear me when I say I'm very sorry. Um, because that is not how God feels about his children ever. Um, the right takeaway would be, I, uh, my, my life is secure, my mm-hmm. eternal destination is guaranteed, and uh, I hate the effects of sin so much, I can do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and know that if I fail, it doesn't change the outcome of my life, it doesn't change my... Uh, eternal endpoint, um, and it doesn't affect God's love for me. So I'm going to fight and kick and scratch and claw until I confront all of the sin in my own heart. Mm. Um, an- another another wrong takeaway would be, see, person that I'm related to, you need to be changing. You need to stop <laughs> sinning. You yeah aren't working in the way that God wants you to work. Do you even believe? Mm. Um, and, and man, those are two easy, easy things for our hearts to believe. Really, really easy for me to believe in particular um, as the preacher, you know, like it. it's so easy for me to think, I wonder if so-and-so heard that sermon or I wonder <laughs> how they took that. 
Um, yeah. And then as you know, as I go back and prepare for uh, like a podcast or something like that, <laughs> my response is always like, I didn't really hear my own sermon very no. well. Um, uh, and so that, that, yeah, like it's so easy to think this is a condemnation or it's a, a conviction that you've been given for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is it's a, it's a freedom that that we've been given uh, to go do what we were made to do without fear of um, of messing up. You know, I, I actually use this illustration in a in, I was talking with somebody yesterday, I had coffee with them and talking about just like the freedom we have to to live as we've been made. Uh, and I've used this in a sermon before, so if if you hear the first part of this illustration, you're like, I've heard this, Stephen. You can just go ahead and you know tune out for the next couple minutes. But it's fantastic. And in the, in the HBO miniseries <laughs> Band of Brothers, which focuses on the 101st Airborne Division that dropped into Normandy the night mm-hmm. before D-Day, so they could clear out people. One of the privates, who's like just this this weakling who can't do anything, lands uh, with his parachute, terrified as he hears the gunfire and all that kind of stuff, curls up in a ball goes to sleep, uh, wakes up the next morning, finds this other platoon, joins it. The captain of that platoon is like the most studly running behind enemy lines, saving guys, you know, killing Germans, doing all the great stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And this private's like, you know, Captain Spears, I got to tell you, when I landed, I didn't do anything. I just laid in a ditch. I didn't try to find my platoon. I didn't do anything. And Captain Spears tells him, he's like, the reason that you hid Private Blythe is because you think there's still hope. You think you're still alive. Mm. Um, and he's like, as soon as you realize that you're already dead, you'll be able to function as a, a soldier supposed to function. Um, and I think uh, the mm. opposite is true of a Christian, right? Like we <coughs> so often live the way we do because we think we're dead and we need to find life. So we mm-hmm. run to other people to fill us up and make us alive. We run to our jobs. We run to our parenting. We run to all these kinds of things that that are not serving others or loving others or the works of the fruit of the gospel because we think we need to keep ourselves alive. And the truth is, the sooner we realize that Jesus has already made us alive, we can start to function as we've been created to function. We can go mm-hmm. out and serve and live and give our lives away knowing that we have already been brought to life. And what a liberating message uh, that is in this in this day and age. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you for your time again today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Matt, thanks for having me. It's great. The title of Stephen's sermon is A Working Faith. It's the fifth sermon in our series from the book of James. You can find that sermon in all our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We'd love to have you join us Sundays for in-person outdoor worship. We meet at 11 a.m. in the courtyard of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. Look for that sign-up email from one of our pastors. If you're not receiving those emails, we would encourage you to visit our website, again, gracesouthbay.com, and click on the Connect button at the top. Fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. You can also submit a prayer request using the prayer button at the top of our website. If you can't join us for in-person worship, we are live streaming our services on Facebook and YouTube. So join us at 11 or whenever is convenient for you because you can access the service anytime afterwards. We know these are challenging times, so let us know how we can care for you. We have pastors, elders, youth leaders, a women's care team ready to help. 
We're just an email or phone call away. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast. So stay tuned and stay healthy. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.